Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. I'm your host, Anthony Corcoran. Welcome to Australian Basketball Coach. Today I've got with me Braden Hazelhurst, head coach of the Logan Thunder Women. So welcome, mate. Thank you very much. Glad to be on the show. Yeah, great to have you on. Second year there coaching at Logan uh, with the women's team and obviously gearing up in the preseason for a, another good year. You guys finished in the quarterfinals last year. So we'll, we'll get into uh, what your plans are for this year shortly. But I, I, I usually start off, I guess, just asking about you know, what were your early coaching influences and, and how did you get into basketball and, and yeah, where did it all start? Yeah, well, I guess um, I'm the youngest of, of four kids. So um, I grew up around uh, my older siblings um, playing, mainly my my older brother started in Queensland. Oh, he started in New South Wales, but I was a baby then. But uh, we moved to Queensland and he started playing at um, Southern District Spartans back then and I just used to go and watch all the time. And, um, you know, then my sister, my older sister started playing as well. So I was just around it from, you know, a very young age and all that sort of stuff. And I think I started playing there at age four um, and started playing rep at like age five or six at Spartans. So just been around it since I was a little kid. And, um, you know, they obviously kept playing and, um, you know, I moved around a fair bit as far as starting in Brisbane and moving to Adelaide and then coming back and finishing off my juniors here. So, um, yeah, just been involved in it since um, day dot, really, and, and always loved it. I was mascot for some of the early, you know, the mid-90s, late-90s Spartans, ABA-teams um, back then and oh, yeah. um, all that sort of stuff. So I just loved it since day one and, and stayed involved ever since. Yeah, you always been in basketball, or did you play other stuff as well? Um, yeah, I started off playing uh, rugby league as well. My dad um, played rugby league at a high level um, down at Cronulla and um, around the country football scene, which was pretty big back in the day. So yeah. um, I think I would have been shunned if I didn't play a little bit of rugby league. <laughs> um, so I was playing both. Um, and then I just decided to uh, stick with basketball. But then when I moved to to Adelaide, I used to play um, cricket during the summer as well and was probably better at that than I was at basketball, to be honest. But um, uh, basketball was always my main sort of love. And I think from age sort of under 16s, I just stuck with basketball and, and that's been the way ever since. Yeah, nice. So I, I was doing a little bit of research. I see uh, Scott Lloyd was your under-18 coach and now he's yep. up with looking after the Glads and QSL team. So what yep. sort of influence did he have in your basketball career? Yeah, well, he, he's probably one of the biggest, um, to be honest. I, you know, when I was mascot for the ABA teams back in the day, he was one of the main players and um, I think even the captain of the team back in those late 90s teams that won a fair few championships and, and stuff like that. And um, my family was always really close with Lloydie and his family. And, you know, when we moved back to, to Brisbane from Adelaide, um, I played under 18s and um, my top age 18s years, you know, I, I kind of always played Division Two when I was playing um, junior rep. And my last year, uh, I was about to quit the game altogether. Um you know, we had a coach that didn't really want to be there in, in under-18s and um, I think we kind of made the decision to try and 
get a new get a new coach involved and um you know I was on the borderline of quitting which was rare for me because as someone who sort of loved the game and always been around it um yeah. I kind of just lo- lost the love for it and all that sort of stuff and then we managed to convince him to coach and um you know regain that that love for it and that sort of prepared me to be able to um go on to high levels and and be a part of the Spartan Seabull squad and and all that stuff in the future. And he sort of was, you know, the main person responsible for that turnaround in me. So I owe a lot to him from there. But then it just also um, coaching-wise, I think, um, you know, one of his strengths was always his relationships with players and yeah, um, stuff like that, especially early on. And um, I've just sort of kept that, you know, in my head when I've started coaching and, you know, letting people um, show what they can do rather than putting restrictions on people and, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, like I said, he's been one of the main influences in my life in general and I'm really glad to see him back involved in basketball over after so long out. I think he's, you know, I've tried to get him to coach with me and unfortunately he hasn't um, been able to do it. So when yeah. he called me and told me the news the other day, I was I was really excited and, um, you know, he's going to do really great things up in Gladstone. But, um, yeah, as far as my life and basketball journey, he's been one of the main influences for sure. Yeah, well, I guess you know, being around the Spartans, you were, you know, like you say, involved in that Siebel team around 2011. I was having a bit of a look to see who was in that group. So Greg Vanderjack, Ash Cannon, and lots of other good players too, I suspect. And and then you know being assistant coach with CJ Bruton uh, in 15 and 16. So lots of great basketball heads in that group. And and what sort of um, leadership did you you did you see and pick up on uh, being a younger player with with those sort of older and experienced players? Um, well, I guess I got to see like all the different kinds of kinds of leadership. You know, I got to see you know uh, older players who were really hard on on younger kids and yep. and harsh. And then I got to see you know other guys who were really sort of um, caring and, and motivating to us sort of younger guys growing up. I in that 2011 team, we had Corey Homicide Williams come for. Um, a couple of games and a lot of the preseason as well. And, All right. um, you know, people think, you know, he can be a bit of a dick at times and all that sort of stuff. But for for the younger players on that team, um, he was an insanely great leader. Um, yeah. Encouraged people to, to be aggressive. Um, you know, I think one of his sayings was the passive people get nowhere. And uh, he was really good. I had Cortez Groves on that team who I was really close with. Um, and he was more of a quiet leader, sort of did things around, you know, when you were shooting during the day with him and stuff like that, rather than, um, you know, in-game sort of leadership. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I had Ash Cannon, who was, you know, one of the best guys you could probably play with. Um, and like I said, really motivating and, and that sort of stuff. And then it was a good balance because then we had, you know, Vandy, who, you know, I'm sure himself would admit it, um, can be a bit hard on people at times, <laughs> but, you know, had that sort of hard line where he expects you to be up to a certain point. Um, and if he didn't, if you weren't up to that or putting in the effort to get to that, he would let you know. So, um, you know, I was lucky to be around all different kinds of leaders. You know, even our coach then was Leonard King and, yeah. you know, was very sort of a college style of, of coach as far as, you know, this is where we expect you to be. And if you can't do that, then you can't play sort of thing. And um, being exposed to that was really good as well. So, you know, and then, yeah, as you said, later on, you know, we had 
um, different players in the Spartans Siebel program, like Daniel George um, was another great leader. Uh, Isaiah Twetter, um, you know, became a good leader and all that sort of stuff. And we had Roger Smith involved in our program then, who was, uh, again, one of the main influences in my career as well. And then, yeah. um, and then you, like you said, CJ Bruton, I think, you know, as far as developing relationships with players and all that sort of stuff, I think um, not many people compare to CJ. So being around all different kinds and it's, um, you know, you kind of, you would know yourself as a coach, you kind of take a little bit from everyone and mm. all that sort of stuff. So I've been lucky in that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're right. Like just, like I said earlier, a bit, long and rich probably history there at the Spartans with a whole bunch of guys, uh, players, and also people off the court too probably who, who all helped make it successful. So um, so let's uh, talk a little bit about your team. Um, second year in the coaching the team and uh, congratulations to getting through the quarterfinals last year. Um, Thank you. How, how have you been able to influ- implement your own coaching style and how, you know, what sort of, what's it look like? Um, well, I suppose... Um you know, after making the switch from men, um, I was a bit sort of not, it was a bit daunting sort of going into, you know, a completely different type of game with the women. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, it probably suits my personality and style even more. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a very sort of free flowing coach as far as, you know, I like to play at pace and, um, you know, give people confidence as far as giving them the green light. Um, and all that sort of stuff. But with, with women, they probably need a bit uh, or they want um, a bit more structure than the men. The men kind of just want you to put in some stuff in place and then just let them play. Yeah. Um, you know, so we've been able to develop that style where we, you know, we're, we're allowing the players to play. It's very sort of, our style is very sort of similar to a men's program as far as, you know, we play up and down. We try and get on the rim. We've got shooters um, all that sort of stuff. And, you know, we get up and in defensively. That's probably where I've been able to improve more. My teams weren't great defensively when I was coaching the QBL men. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, coming across to women, it's been really good. But I think the thing that's helped me put my imprint on it more is, you know, the leaders and the people we have in the team, you know. Coming across, like I said, was a bit daunting. But, you know, we got people like Michaela Cam, or formerly Michaela Donnelly, um, you know, we had Michaela Roof, um, who will be on our team again this year, who was the MVP, uh, and Ash Tyre, who are our core. Um, and, you know, having those leaders who constantly give you feedback on what works and what doesn't yep. um, and all that sort of stuff, you know, helped me sort of shape the way we want to play and learn in that first year yep. um, and helped us be a bit more advanced this year. So, um, yeah, it's similar sort of traits as as far as when I coach men, it's just a bit more structure and just a bit more learning about, um, you know, how the women want to play. Yeah. And when you're um, looking at the season ahead, say now, what do we march? And we start in what late April, early May. So how do you define success? You know, like in terms of what you want to, what you want to achieve in the season? Yeah. Well, yeah, our goals have sort of, you know, the goalposts have sort of shifted for us as in last year, I came in pretty late. Um, like I said, we're able to get that core of Michaela, Can, Michaela Roof and Ash tie together and develop a lot of our young girls around it. Yep. Um, you know, so we probably exceeded the expectations we put in ourselves at the start of the season by where we were. But, you know, where we were later in the season, we probably fell short of our expectations that had changed because of how well we were going as we went along. Um, 
you know, this year the goal is to win a championship. You know, I think we're capable of doing that. I don't think we were far off even last year. Um, so, you know, that's the main goal for us now. Nothing else is really, you know, on the agenda. Obviously, we want to keep developing our um, young girls and all that sort of stuff. Like I said, you know, in my opinion, we've built a program the right way as far as bringing a couple of people in, you know, but even our main girls like Ash, Tyra, Michaela, Canner, Logan Juniors. Um, but outside of our core, we have a lot of our locals playing and that sort of stuff. So yeah. obviously we want to keep that development track going, but you know, our goal this year is, is to win a title and nothing less kind of will, um, will mean success for us. Yeah. Yeah. So when you talk about uh, youth development, I guess one of the things that I often think about is when you're the head coach of the, the, the top tier team, in this case, you know, you're the um, NBL One North women's head coach. How do you get the two top, you know, say you're uh, what was QBL, but and now uh, QSL, like if, if you've got a QSL team and a NBL One North team, like how do you get them working together? And what do you tend to just sort of split into two groups early and and let each coach um, sort of do their own thing? Um, well, it's been, it's been a bit of a process last, um, you know, over the course of the time I've been there. Last year, we probably weren't able to develop that consistency across the two programs as we would like. Yeah. Um, just because it was my first year, I came in late and our sort of main focus was just building our, our QBL program. Yeah. Um, but this year, what we've done is... Um, instead of having open trials like most teams or clubs do, is we've picked, you know, both squads. But first of all, our NBL one squad based on obviously the recruits we bring in. Yeah. Um, but we've picked people based on whether it's last year's QBL performance, how they performed in under 18s or in our under 21 program, which I coached our 21s program and my assistant coach coached our under 18s program. Oh, yeah. Um, and then how they did in different things throughout the year, whether it's state or whatever. And we picked a squad based on that. Um, and we've done the same thing with our QSL as far as, you know, most of our QSL squad is part of our NBL one program. Yeah. But there'll also be people who from the club who are added to that QSL squad only, um, who are from the club. And we've just made it a priority just to pick from, how they perform in our other programs. So we're focusing on, you know, obviously our performance in those younger age groups uh, and obviously focusing on our locals rather than having open trials where, you know, people come in from other clubs. And and like I said earlier, you would know this as well, being a coach is if a player comes in from another club and, you know, kills someone from your club for two trials, you know, you're probably going to pick them. Yeah. You know, whereas we've signed a, Court sort of cut that out altogether um, as far as we picking from our own program and if they're up to it and if they perform well when they think people aren't watching, um, we add them to the squad uh, and that way we're focusing on our junior program uh, and having an established pathway and then just having people who coach it who are at our QBL sessions and either part of our junior programs as well so they know the way they want to play um, you know, so then if they're playing in our NBL one program, they're not going backwards if they go back to QSL yeah. and stuff like that. So that's been a major priority for us this year. And we think, we think we've got it right the way we've done it. Um, you know, we've got a great group of coaches involved in our NBL one program as far as established coaches who will help me. 
Yeah. And then also younger coaches who are learning, who will lead that QSL program, um, but do it the way we want it done. But also like, I don't put any restrictions on them as far as we want them to do the stuff we're doing, but we also want them to develop as a coach and have their own personal touch on it as well. So that's the way we've done it this year and, and we think it's the right way to go to develop that consistency, like you said, across both programs and hopefully that results in good development and success across um, both teams as well. Yeah, that's, that's good. In that space as well, like uh, what are you doing in terms of developing the culture that you want within the group? Are there, are there some certain things that things you found that worked before for you and, you know, obviously it's uh, stuff that works and, you know, you can get the results you want uh, introducing that sort of culture? Yeah. Yeah, well, um, from my experience, you know, my first year up at Sunshine Coast, we had a, a really good culture. Um, you know, we had a younger group with some veterans in there. Yeah. Um, my second year, I probably made some mistakes with um, recruitment that turned into a, a bit of a shitty culture, um, which was unfortunate. But, you know, I suppose the good thing is you learn from from those experiences and all that sort of stuff. So, um you know, we've just focused on bringing in a good core, um, you know, who can lead the culture. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the good thing about Logan is it has, as a club, has a great culture anyway. Yeah. Um, but as far as our program, getting those leaders right, I think was essential because if we had a young team like we did last year, but we had leaders who got frustrated and weren't able to help the young kids and all that sort of stuff... Uh, I don't think we would have had anywhere near the success that we had. Yeah. Um, so getting those leaders um, right, I think, is essential. Um, and we're lucky enough to have that. And even this year, we've brought in Shivana Palvast, who has only added to that um, and has been really good. So getting those leaders right. And then I think just laying out the standards to the other people who are part of the program um, and constantly reinforcing that if they slip up, this is the standard. Yeah. Uh, and if they keep going, then you can't be a part of this program. I think, um, you know, laying out clear expectations is key, especially with young girls, so they know what to expect. Yeah. yeah. Um, and if you if you don't do that, you know, you know, young people these days they can, you know, think they can do whatever they want. So <laughs> we're lucky enough that we've laid out those expectations across last year, um, got the leaders right, got our sort of program right, and um, you know, our culture is really good and. And hopefully I think that's, you know, 50% of the way to having a successful program on the court. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I guess this week uh, we just watched the WNBL finals and Canberra got up there to zip over the Southside Flyers. So um, anything from, you know, that series or, you know, the WNBL that you, you're seeing in terms of either style of play or just, you know, like what players are doing that you think might be good in, in our league as well. Like in terms of, I guess one of the things I noticed was just how physical, you know, the games were and, and I guess the players were allowed to play a lot to, yeah. to some extent. Yeah. So I really liked seeing that. Yeah. And I like it too. And, and the one thing I've kind of noticed after have coaching in both men's and women's is I think they do let it go a bit more in the women's game. I think at QBL level last year, I thought it was, you know, really physical, um, there before you even get to the WNBL. So, mm. um, but I think the main thing the WNBL showed me is, is you know, built on what we've just spoke about is how important that culture and everything is. I think, you know, Canberra have built a program. You know, the first couple of years, Gorry was there. They weren't successful on the court. Yeah. Um, 
you know, but they obviously kept faith in what he was doing and all that sort of stuff. And um, last year turned into a championship. Obviously, they recruited some stars, but they've obviously, you know, put faith in other people and developed them, you know, like your, your Frolings, your Matty Rochi and all that sort of stuff, who a couple of years ago were nowhere near up to this level. Um, and you look at the impact that those two people in particular had on Canberra season this year, um, you know, they wouldn't have won it without those girls because they wouldn't have got through those patches when Canberra had all those injuries to Kelsey Griffin, Mariana Tolo yeah. and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, Southside on the other hand probably, you know, relied on their stars a bit more this year. And I think that sort of, you know, they're on their way to building a program. Yeah. But I think in the finals, I think it showed how, how much of a benefit it is having that sort of groundwork built up Um and you can see it pay off when, when crunch time happened. Um, you know, Canberra were the team that came through. And you look at it, you know, Canberra realistically in that final series were six, maybe seven deep. Because um, mm. they were able to get the job done. So I think that um, chemistry, as we just spoke about, uh, is what shined through in that WNBL series. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> and and uh, obviously, probably um, wanted to ask you too, like, so Logan were the, the last time Brisbane had a team in the WNBL. So... How far away do you think that is, like a, a WNBL team returning to Brisbane? Um, I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest. I, in my time, not only in basketball, but as a journalist, you know, I've had several people that, you know, come to me because I'm kind of the basketball person in, in the media yeah. um, with bids or progress and all that sort of stuff and say that it's only a couple of years away and all that sort of stuff. But those came to me seven years ago. So, yeah, um, you know, there's been plenty of people try. I think it's got to happen, to be honest, because I think we have so much talent in this area. Yeah. It'd be a real shame if um, we can't get a program up and running because even though you look at, you know, Townsville, you look at Canberra, you know, those people who are getting those development spots are locals. Yeah. You know, they're not yeah. people from Brisbane who are good enough to go there. You know, mm. I always say I think, you know, especially this year, my first year being involved in, in the women was, you know, there's tons of people in the QBL that should be in WNBL programs. Mm. Um, but I think they get overlooked because of outside of those top six or seven, you know, those teams really don't have the money to just be adding people. So they're just looking at locals. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, people like, you know, I, I know she's a bit older than, than a junior, but Ash Tyre, there's no way, in my opinion, that she shouldn't be in a WNBL program. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think it's a shame. So hopefully we can get it happening soon. You know, whether I know there's thoughts of Larry Kesselman taking over the WNBL, which would yeah. be a, a godsend because Basketball Australia have kind of butchered it for years. Um, you know, it's been a real shame because we have one of the best women's competitions in the world, really. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, but it receives no publicity. Uh, and as much as people blame the media and everything, you know, the league's got to be proactive about the way they go about it as well. So um, I think if Larry Kesselman takes over, I think don't think it'll be far away. If if he doesn't, um, I don't think it'll happen anytime soon, unfortunately. All right. So, yeah, I guess uh, just following on, um, I just wanted to take you up a little bit on your background as a sports journalist and what you've written in the past. And I think, uh, again, congratulations as well for, for the, the content you put out because I know um, reading your stuff online, it's generally on the money and, you know, you because you've got that 
background in basketball, it generally makes for a good story as well. But how do you think uh, the promotion of the game's going now with, in terms of NBL One North? And um, is it sort of where it should be in terms of uh, pushing the brand and, and pushing the, the depth of the competition? Um, I don't think it's anywhere near it needs to be, to be honest. I think obviously it'll benefit from the fact of the side that, you know, the NBL will be pushing it. Yeah. Um, but I think we've got to do more here um, to push it. You know, if we want people from our league to be able to get into NBL teams or WNBL teams, you know, you look at the spots that were left over in NBL teams last year or even WNBL teams because of the exposure of the NBL one in Melbourne last year. Yeah. You know, people get seen more. So teams automatically go to, to those sort of players. Um, you know, even the QBL, I, I don't think we, you know, do enough to promote it um, and all that sort of stuff. And we really need to, to focus on that because I think there's so much talent here, like I said, um, you know, especially with NBL 1 North happening now. You know, we need to get on the on the train early as far as pushing as much content out as we can. You know, the yeah. clubs are starting to do a better job. Yeah. Um, you know, but I think also Basketball Queensland can do more, obviously, but I think also... Um, media needs to recognise that there's a avenue for an audience there as well because, you know, when I do my stories and I see the numbers from page views and the amount of shares and everything it has, it's quite good. Mm. Um, you know, and that's only on through Quest Newspapers platform um, and then through the clubs and that sharing it. So, you know, if we can get the Career Mail on board and other people on board to, to pump out as much content as possible, I think it'll result in more sponsorship for the clubs. It will result in more um, spotlight for players to try and get gigs and all that sort of stuff. And there's so many great stories, you know, I think in, in the Q oh, Queensland basketball as well. You know, you look at, you know, one of the stories that's been shined through since he's been in the league is, is Michael Cedar and the stuff he's mm. done in the mental health space. You know, that's probably the one story that's received exposure. Yep. Um, you know, there's probably a hundred of those type of stories across the people who play in our league. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so not only the match reports and all that sort of stuff, but actual stories within our league, I think we can do more to, to shine a light on those things. And, um, you know, you're obviously doing a great job with your stuff and uh, I've got some stuff happening with, with Quest uh, in the future, hopefully in the next month or so that'll start happening. Um, as well, we've got some things planned. So, oh, nice. you know, there's, there's people doing their part, but I think, um, you know, other people need to step up to, to get it done as well. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and I think too, it doesn't need to always be about, you know, the game or the points or, you know, the rebounds people get, not not necessarily the stats or who's on top or whatever, but it's just the the, the struggle and the journey and, and you yeah, know, exactly. the day-to-day stuff that people go through that's probably not, evident it's probably evident when you're yeah, in that coaching circle and you you sort of know what what's going on and what players are dealing with and that sort of thing but yeah. uh, a lot of you know good stories about yeah people's journeys and and sometimes the sacrifices they've got to make to be able to compete at that level and yeah like i, I guess a good example of that one for me I, I did a podcast with sandy brondello and she was talking about playing with a broken foot <laughs> yeah, for a, a period of time or broken bones in a foot. And, and I guess people just wouldn't know that, you know, like takes a certain amount of toughness to be able to do that. Yeah, exactly. And like I said, there's, you know, everyone, especially people with a bit more experience, 
there's probably a hundred people in our league with those type of stories. You know, yeah. we've got to, I think we've got to get in sort of more touch with that sort of side and, and shine a light on, you know, the type of people, you know, it doesn't have to be the stars of our league. You know, for example, you know, Mackay um, did a video with Brad Rasmussen lately, Yeah, you know, yeah. like, you know, those type of stories, a guy who works as a milkman and wakes up at 4am and he's done it for 12 years or whatever. And then gone to trainings and done all that stuff every day. Yeah. You know, there's, there's a hundred stories out there and I think, um, you know, we've got so many good characters in our league too. So I think we can, um, you know, shine a light on it a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think one of the things that's a bit of a barrier to that though is uh, these bloody newspaper paywalls. I mean, like you see a good story and like for me, you go to click on it and, you know, boom, boom, that message about the paywall. And I understand why it's there, but, you know, like, yeah, I think people get a bit frustrated with that from time to time. Yeah, I guess the hardest thing is, is I'm on both sides, obviously, we're trying to get my stories out there, but as a journalist, trying to get subscriptions and all that yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah. You know, and the way it works these days is we're measured on subscriptions as well, not only page views uh, right. yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, the biggest thing, you know, I always tell people is, you know, for example, during the week, um, you know, AAP is shutting down and more than 200 people are losing their job. Yeah, I read about um, that. Yeah, so, you know, and the way it works now is, you know, to, to, for this industry to stay alive and it's an essential industry whether, you know, you like News Corp or you like whatever company it is, is pretty essential not only to sport but, you know, our society in general. And if we want that to remain, the fact is we've got to be able to, you know, pay for it because the way I always say it to people now and I have pen- plenty of people come up to me and whinge about it is, you know, do you walk into a, a clothes store and walk out with a shirt without paying for it? Yeah. Not really. So, you know, just we're just un- unused to it because we haven't been, had to pay for it for so long that when it happens, um, you know, people arc up about it. But that's the reality of, you know, the industry and where it's going. And, um, you know, unfortunately, we just need the support of people. Otherwise, it's going to end up happening like AAP during the week as far as people losing their jobs and everything. So, unfortunately, it's the way to go. But, um, you know, that's just the way it is. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe we can uh, change the um, perception, eh? And just sort of say to people, "Hey, well, when you when you get through that paywall, you, you and pay f- for the story, you, you're actually helping someone keep a job." Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, that's that's good. Well, mate, I think we've covered everything, and I, I just want to thank you for making some time this morning for the podcast, and wish you guys all the best of luck for season 2020. Um, are you thinking that the NBL One North branding is going to be a big positive for the league? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's great. Um, you know, not only from a marketing and and all that type of side, I think um, the competitive side as well. You know, it's. Um, you know, people probably, you know, over the last year, we probably lost some players that we could have got in the men or women's programs because of the NBL one branding in Victoria. Yeah. Um, you know, before that, we saw a steady stream of people starting to come to Queensland. Yeah. Uh, I think we might have lost that a little bit last year. So from that side of things, I think it's great that we've got that. So people have that avenue here as well but competitive standpoint like we've got the the ability to try and win the comp and go play in the national championship yeah um from a marketing standpoint you know we can say to sponsors that every game is live streamed now you're branding from you know whether it's on our court or on the side of the court or whatever 
he's seen, you know, across thousands of people, you know. Um, but then I, I said to, we spoke about it at Logan, me and, me and Luke Can is about, you know, one of the hardest things um, in the QBL I find is if you have a double header yep. and you play a team on the second leg of the double yeah, header yeah. who also had a game is you can't watch their game from that night. Whereas now we can yeah, um, yeah. because every game's on YouTube and all that sort of stuff. So I think there's just way too many pros compared to the cons. Um, you know, and I thought it was a, a necessary step for us. And I think it's going to be huge this year. And I, I think there'll be more changes um, come in next year. I think this first year they tried to keep it as status quo as possible yep. because the decision was made pretty late. Yeah. Um, but I think as we go forward, there'll, there'll be some more changes and it'll only um, benefit uh, basketball in Queensland, I think. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And there's certainly a lot of interest and a lot of, I guess, competitiveness, especially across the North, you know, uh, NBL one North versus South Stoush. And, uh, you know, it'd be just great to see how that ends up at the end of the year and who gets the bragging rights. Yeah, absolutely. And I've said it for years, especially over the last couple, you know, especially the top teams in both men's and women's. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought when it was the Siebel down in Victoria, maybe not the later years of the Siebel, but um, between that 2009 to 2013, 14 mark, um, the Siebel was a hundred times better, I thought, than the QBL. Yeah. Um, but the last couple of years, I thought, especially the top teams are pretty level. Um, so yeah. now I suppose, you know, the players I spoke to and the coaches I spoke to are really excited to to sort of have that chance to go down and represent Queensland and try and try and knock those teams off because they've been sort of bragging about it down there for years. And I <laughs> think, um, you know, you look at the last time the national championships were on, the Queensland teams won it. So yeah, I think yeah. the last last team is either Cairns or Rocky in the men's. So. Yeah, I think it was Rocky because I did an interview with Neil last weekend and uh, he said, yeah, he was the last one to win. So Yeah, exactly. So we've still got bragging rights, so I think we can keep it. So <laughs> it's good that way as well. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Right, mate, well, uh, I'll let you get on with your day and thanks again for being on the podcast and all the best for the upcoming season. No worries, mate. Thanks for the chance to come on. I appreciate it. No problem. All right, mate. Talk to you again soon. Cheers, mate. Wait. See ya. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed it. You can get in touch with me through my email at australianbasketballcoach at gmail.com. That's australianbasketballcoach, all one word, lowercase, at gmail.com. Also, follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter at OzBBallCoach and also on Facebook with Australian Basketball Coach. So uh, looking forward to hearing from you and thanks again for listening. (laughs) 